right, we're in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at five verses today. This is a very well-known passage. It's about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, let me just help you understand what's going on here. Remember, last week we talked about our freedom has limitations. Paul entered into this discussion about... He entered into the discussion about the fact that, that you and I have liberty in Jesus, but that is not liberty to do whatever we want to do, freedom to sin. And then he went on and he listed what the works of the flesh are, and I basically broke them down into four categories of sins. And his whole point is, is he's saying that if you practice these sins, if this is a regular part of your life, then there's a question about, there's a reality is that you may not be a believer, is what he's saying. Now he gets into verse 22 and 23, and he's going to reverse it now, and he's going to tell us what is evident about somebody who knows Jesus Christ. What is evident about them? So, let me just stop for a moment. I think I need to make this point clear. How do you know that somebody is a Christian? That's a good question to ask. How do you know somebody is a let me drop the word Christian because there's too many people who claim that title. How do you know that somebody is a true believer in Jesus Christ, a Christ follower? How do you know that? How do we know that? Marilyn, did you say that? By their life is what Marilyn said. Okay, that's the, that's the answer. You know that by their life, not by what they say. Just simply saying, I'm a believer, is not enough. Because talk is cheap. You understand what I'm saying? Talk is cheap. It's your life. In fact, that's the very point that Paul's going to make here in this passage. So look with me in verse 22 and 23, and we'll see what he's saying here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Okay, here's what I want you to see. First of all, we're going to talk about the manifestation of the Spirit in your life. And here's what he's saying. A true believer will manifest the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. I want you to put a star by that point. A true believer is going to manifest the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. If you know Jesus Christ, Okay, let, let, let me back up. All right, let me have everybody get here on the same page. Let's, let's start off. When you come to Christ and you put your faith in, the, into, in Him and you receive salvation, you are saved, who enters into your life at that moment? Who's that? Holy Spirit. Now, does He remain dormant? He immediately begins to what in your life? Work. Now, remember what I told you, salvation is a threefold process. We only focus on one of the three aspects of salvation, that's justification, which is I am declared righteous, I am saved, I am okay with God. That's one aspect. There is a second aspect, which is called sanctification, where I am, be I am being saved, I am becoming like Christ, and that's where the Holy Spirit works in your life, and he molds you into the person like Jesus. And then the final aspect of salvation is glorification. That is, when I go to be with Him, I will receive my full salvation. I'll receive a new body. I'll be in heaven. So we see the three aspects of salvation. 
The work of the Spirit is actually in the second part of it. So if you have someone who says that they're a believer, but there is no evidence in their life that the Holy Spirit is working, there's a question mark there. You simply can't go by just simply listening to someone say, well, I'm a Christian. That's not, that, that doesn't mean anything. In fact, let me remind you, Matthew 7, Jesus says this, Many will appear before him in that day, and they'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these great things in your name? And then list some things there, casting out demons and all this stuff. And Jesus will say to them, Depart from me. I never knew you. That's a scary passage, isn't it? In fact, Jesus will say in the very same passage that not everyone who calls on his name will be his. So that's the reality. So what we need to see is, is that if I'm a believer, if I'm a true believer, I'm going to manifest the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. He's going to work in my life. So let's talk about what that work is. Or let me just stop for a moment. Let's think of it this way. In our circle of churches, typically when we've talked about fruit, we've talked about what, people? What have we talked about? About you bearing fruit for Christ. What are we talking about? Works, but what specific type of work? What? Getting people saved. And, and bearing fruit is how many people got saved. Now that used to be emphasized a lot, but I'm gonna, I wanted to show you something that's nowhere in the Bible. When it talks about bearing fruit, now it talks about getting people, about sharing and witnessing, that's our task, but calling that our fruit is not in the Bible. Because right now we're going to see what the fruit is. So let's look at them. First of all, we're going to look at them described, I've already read the passage to you, and there are about nine of them. There's nine different fruit here that are going to be manifested in life. First of all, we'll manifest a self-sacrificing love like Jesus Christ. The word love there is that word agape love, which is a self-sacrificing love. So you're going to manifest in your life a love, a love that is self-sacrificing, not self-centered. Our society is built on self-centered love, but rather you're going to be sacrificial in your own life towards others. All right, everybody get that? All right, let's go on. Their life will manifest an inner joy in spite of difficult circumstances. Their life will manifest an inner joy in spite of difficult circumstances. Now, here, let me just stop for a moment. I've got to make a comment here because in our culture today, we are so focused on everyone being what? Happy. And I've had folks tell me, God just wants me to be happy. And, and usually when you talk about that, that usually means in reference to having certain relationships with people. I want to be happy in my relationships. It means having certain... I want to be happy with the junk that I have. If I have the right junk, I'll be happy. Now, you can see how that's going to be you know, a never-ending, unsatisfying cycle there, isn't it? Or here's another one. I want to be happy with how big my bank account is or how much I'm making at work. And if I only make this much and the boss doesn't hold back on me and pays me what I really deserve, I'll be happy. And, and that's what we're seeking here. But the problem is, is God really isn't interested in your happiness. Not here in this life because you're not going to be happy here. 
Well, interested in is your joy. And really what he's interested in is you having an inner joy that comes through who? The Spirit of God that will carry you through what? The difficult circumstances you face. And are you going to face difficult circumstances, folks? You sure are. And if you haven't faced them this week, guess what? Next week's coming. You know what I'm saying? And you'll hear something. I mean, life, life will throw stuff at you. So he wants us to have a self-sacrificing joy. He wants us to have an inner peace, excuse me, a self-sacrificing love and an inner joy. Now he wants us to have peace. Their life will manifest an inner quietness and trust in God. That's peace. I, I'm going to tell you, many times in the chaotic nature of my life, it has been through prayer that I've sensed that peace. So let me give you an example. I told you I was just in Haiti. Bag didn't make it. I got all the food. We go to bed that night. I mean, I flew into uh, Fort Lauderdale and got in my hotel at 1 o'clock. And then I had to leave the hotel at 4.30. So I only got three hours of sleep. And even though I had my pillow with me, I didn't have my blankie. And, you know, I just can't sleep right in a hotel, okay? And so I'm, I'm, and then I get on the airplane, and, and it's a full day in Haiti. And I go to bed, and it's hot because it's hot. It was 90. And we're in a concrete building that's it's just like an oven. And you're on a plastic mattress, and it's like rotisserie grill. You know, you just kind of turn it over, baking all night long. And, and I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I was really worried about my bag. I was really worried about my bag. And I was praying, God, you've got to take care of that bag. And I was praying and praying. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, it's like I sense a voice saying to me, it's going to be okay. You'll have your bag tomorrow. Go to bed. And I went to sleep. Now, they say I was sawing logs, you know, and they felt for Lori after that. But there is a sense when you pray, God will speak to you. And he will give you peace. Are you sure? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And what? And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will what? Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, God, the work of the Spirit in your life is to bring about an inner peace, an inner trust in God. And our, do we not live in a world today where having peace is minimal? It's chaos at work, isn't it? Some of you tomorrow, when you go to work, it's going to be chaos. And there's turmoil. Turmoil in homes. Turmoil. Turn on the TV and it's turmoil. So, peace. Here's the other one, long-suffering. Their life will manifest patience with people who irritate us. Now, let me explain something to you. In the Bible, there are two types of patience that are used. One is long-suffering, and the other is patience. So, in, in your New Testament, you'll see sometimes even used the same term, long-suffering and patience. It's really with reference to two different things. This is with reference to people. There, the, another type of patience that is, is with reference to adverse situations and difficulties. This one is, is that I'm going to be long-suffering with people who, I'm going to be patient with people who irritate me. 
And, and let's be honest, do people irritate you? How many of you get irritated by people? Okay, remember last week we, we had this little exercise here where I told you to turn around and shake, I'm going to tick you off at some point in this church. We get irritated with people, and the reality is is that how we gain that patience is the Holy Spirit gives us to us to work with people. Let's go on kindness. Their life will man- manifest benevolence towards to others. Their life will manifest benevolence to others. A work of the Spirit is you showing kindness, being benevolent to others in their needs. That's a work of the Spirit. Here's another one, goodness. Their life will manifest goodness to others, even those who don't deserve it. Here, let me just stop for a moment. Isn't it interesting? A lot of what we're talking about is what Jesus told us in the Gospels that we needed to do to others. So we're to love our enemies. How do you love your enemies? You hate your enemies. You want bad things to happen to your enemies. And if you could be a part of it, you would help do bad things against your enemies, right? So here's Jesus saying to you, what is he saying? Love your enemies. How am I to do that? Spirit, God working in your life. It's a fruit of you a fruit of his manifest work in your life. You're able to do that because God is working through you to do that. And showing goodness even to those who don't deserve it is a work of the Spirit of God in your life. Okay, faithfulness. Their life will manifest a character of reliability and trustworthiness. That's a, that's a work of the Spirit in your life where your life is going to reflect reliability and trustworthiness. Here's another one, gentleness. Their life will manifest a character of humility and submission. And then finally, self-control. Their life will manifest a character of moral restraint. Now, let's talk about the implication. Now, here's the implication. The implication is this. There are no restraints against the work of the Spirit in our lives. Here's what Paul's saying. Look what he said there in verse 23. Against such there is no law. Here's what Paul says. How many of you want those things to be evident in your life? Raise your hand right now. How many of you want those things that we're talking about here to be evident in your life? Okay, listen to me. Paul says there's no law against it. Let the Spirit do His work. Let Him manifest that work in your life. And as you allow Him to have control in your life, He's going to do it. He's going to bring about those things in your life. Isn't that wonderful? Now let's talk about the Spirit-led life now. We're going to finish up here with three verses, verses 24, 25, and 26. Look with me in what, what it says here. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with His passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So here's what we need to do. First of all, the crucified life. Believers have victory over the flesh and its sinful desires. Believers have victory over the flesh and its sinful desires. The power of, in fact, if you want to know what he's talking about here, you just need to go over to Romans 6, where he talks about the power of sin has been broken, And you now have the ability to say no to your sinful desires. You have the ability to say that. 
Now, it's going to be tough, but you have the ability. Because the victory has already taken place. Believers have victory over the flesh and sinful desires. Here's the other one. Believers have been crucified with Christ as the old self has died. The old man, the one who was in control of you, is now dead. The spirit is within you. But your spirit, also it says, wrestles against the flesh, a body that's been trained in sin. But the old man who used to be in charge of you is crucified. He's dead. So here's what he's saying. Here's the exhortation. A believer has been made alive in the spirit so that we have so that we have life according to the spirit. It should be life, not live. So that we have life according to the spirit. Or you can also say so that we live according to the spirit. That have should be out of there. A believer has been made alive in the spirit so that we live according to the spirit. See, this is the point. The Holy Spirit isn't your buddy. He is there to enable you to live the life that God is calling you to live. You understand? Now, it's not going to be perfect. That's why it's the process of sanctification. That's why that whole process takes as long as you live. And it will never be complete. But the reality is is that the, the Spirit gives you the, the opportunity to live a life in Christ. Now, here's the warning. Because of our new life in Christ, we are to live differently. You need to live differently. There needs to be a difference in your life. You can't just keep doing the same, same thing the way Bubba and Joe were doing at work. You've got to live differently. Here's what else he says. We are not to have too high an opinion of ourselves. This is the problem with what is happening in our country today. Christians today have too high an opinion of themselves. And basically, when the world looks at us, they look at us and say, well, you guys are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Because we, you know what? You know what the biggest sin in the church is today? Can I be honest with you? It's self-righteousness. That's the biggest sin. We suffer from self-righteousness in the church. And the reality is, is the unsaved world would like to know about your Jesus, but they can't get past us first. When really they should be, it should be us that should be drawing them to Jesus. So here's what he's saying. We have too high an opinion of ourselves. Look, in fact, look at what he says there. Verse, let us not become conceited. That's what he's talking about there in verse 26. We're pretty conceited. Here's another one. We are not to be an annoyance or stir up anger in others. Don't be a button pusher. You know what I mean by that? Some of you know what the buttons are with your spouse or with your children, and you push them. Okay? Some of you know what the buttons are with the people at work, and you push them. You know how to draw a reaction. And here's what he's saying. If you're going to live in the Spirit, don't think too highly of yourselves. But here's the other one. Don't be an annoyance with people. Quit being the Holy Joe at work. Let your life shine forth first. First of all, let's stop for a moment. How many of you like Holy Joes at work? Aren't they irritating? It's like, it's all talk sometimes and no what? No action. How about act first and then talk? You understand? This is what he's saying here. Don't be an annoyance or stir up anger in others. Don't do that. All right, and here's the other one. We are not to want 
what others have. We need to be content. We are not to want what others have. Here's what it says. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another. We already talked about that. Envying one another. We're not to have... Just because some other guy has it doesn't mean you want it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just because some other guy has it doesn't mean you want it because you may not want the headaches that come with it. And I know, I hear cute little quips. Well, it sure would be good to experience it for a day. No, you don't. Want to ruin your day? I mean, you think about it. Be thankful for what God gives you. I think it was Chuck Swindoll who said this. The reason why there aren't very many Christian millionaires, although there are some, is because most people don't know how to handle their money, and God knows that. If they had it, they would ruin them. And that's reality. Be content with what you have. Okay, next week we're going to get into chapter 6. We're going to look at Paul's exhortation. We actually have two more lessons left. And let's close our time in prayer.